0: Welcome to another episode of Failing Forward. I'm your host, Steve Hofstetter. We are recording uh, outside the studio. We are live at the comedy store right now here on Sunset Boulevard in World LA. World famous. World famous comedy store. It's like uh, Ray's Original Pizza in New York. Same kind of thing.
1: Except there's not 14 others that have popped up That's in the true. last decade.
0: Just That's true. Just the one and then some other satellite locations. What's the original Ray's Pizza? All the of real them. one?
1: I don't know. There, there was an original
0: one. I'm from Queens, but all of them are like Ray's Original Pizza, Original Ray's Pizza, Famous Original Ray's Pizza. That's right. There's apparently they all use the name and none of them have lawyers.
1: I think there's one on Houston Street uh, just below the Comedy Cellar that might be the original one. I don't even
0: think it was famous until the other ones started doing that. Yeah. Like that's how I knew what they were because they were, it was kind of funny that 10 of them claimed to be the one
1: and it's all Mexicans making the pizza now
0: it's none of them it's famous Ray, but it's ray spelled r-e-y right yeah
1: (laughs) good one so thank you you're so fast
0: oh no not as fast as you my guest is greg fitzsimmons um and of course if you're listening uh or watching make sure to like comment rate subscribe all of that stuff that helps a podcast go forward and uh greg Speaking of fast, one of the fastest people in the business, Greg, is a stand-up comedian uh, known for not just a ton of television appearances, but writing for a ton of things as well. Um, yeah. I, I feel like I would, you know, do you a discredit to start listing your IMDb credits because you have so many.
1: Well, I've been doing it. I've been writing since my son was born. So about 18 years. I've been doing stand-up 30. Yeah. Yeah. And then my son was born, and I was gone so much, and my wife was alone with the kid. And I go, I got to get off the road. This is crazy. So, I called Louis C.K., who's a dear friend, and he was working on a show called Cedric the Entertainer presents on Fox, a sketch show. And I go, you got to get me, you got to get me a job. So he got me a meeting with Cedric like a week later, and uh, they were looking for a monologue writer. And I pitched him some monologue ideas. Like one of them was. Uh, Reality shows were kind of new then. Yeah. it was like Survivor. I think was the first one out. I go, I go. The black guy is always the first one kicked off the island. That was the premise. And I had like ten beats on it. And uh, he was like, "You're hired." That's it. And That's it was my awesome. first writing job. Yeah. yeah. And then, so I've been able to balance writing and stand up. I spend like half the year doing each. Yeah, every which year.
0: Is, which is wonderful because there are so many comedians who are trying to figure out how do you make ends meet. And how do you not just disappear 52 weeks right. out of the year? Right, Because, and people will say, oh, it's crazy, you tour so much. And it's like, well, how often do you go to work? Right. And like, that's what work is for a lot
1: yeah. of us. Well, and people notice you're gone more because if you have friends, they're making, they're having parties and getting together at bars on Friday and Saturday night. And that's yeah. when you're gone.
0: But even when I'm home, if I'm still working on a Friday or Saturday exactly. night. Exactly, yeah. So I'm like, can you guys have something like Tuesday?
1: Yeah, but be what happened a Sunday brunch
0: exactly let's talk they're like well no we're hungover from Saturday yeah so uh I I recently told the story on my YouTube uh you know for for those who follow me they will know who you are because I told the story of how badly you burned me when we did the VR show <laughs>
1: <'Cause>
0: that was <laughs> phenomenally good uh just I just, feel like
1: I did really well the first time and the second time I didn't I wasn't grounded I didn't ha- I I just feel like Somehow the technology of it worked the first time, and I, yeah. I was jumping around. I was picking stuff up, and the second time I was just off balance with it, and then it threw off my comedy. It's tough. It's tough to do.
0: You still did very well though, oh, well, and thank and you. that I mean that first time was still the, the I think the best anyone's ever burned me. It was wow. phenomenal. That's good to know. So anyway, okay, uh, I want to get right to it because yeah. the whole premise of the show is about you know failing and then success from that failure. And you've been in this business thirty years. You've been writing for almost twenty years, and that gives you a lot of time to fuck up, to fail. So, yeah, absolutely. So, I know you. You started telling me a story before we went on air here, and I want to. Well, I, I loved it. So. Yeah,
1: I mean, you. If you do for thirty years, most people in thirty years maybe switch jobs four times, three times. Yeah, we switch jobs almost every week. <laughs> So the amount of times you fail is exponentially higher. And the first TV job I ever got, it was 1996. And I was a handsome young buck with a full head of hair. (laughs) And, uh, and MTV hired me to host a game show called Idiot Savants. I
0: remember that show. Do you? Yeah. Yeah.
1: We did two seasons. And, uh, during the second season, I was interviewed by Time Out New York. And, uh, the woman who interviewed me, Cynthia True, kind of poked me a little. She she got me to open up. She's a good interviewer. She gets you to yeah. say things you wouldn't normally say. She wanted to do the interview. Sure, blame her for this. Well, she wanted to do the interview <laughs> in a bathhouse. In a bathhouse. Bath like house. sit naked in a steam room and do the interview. And I had a girlfriend at the time who became my wife, and I sort of bounced it off her, and she wasn't crazy about the idea. Yeah, so. what a weird... That's, that's but like, that's what an interviewer should do. You should try to throw your subject off their balance a little there bit. There
0: are a lot of ways to throw you off that yeah. don't include making you naked in a bathhouse. Right. I wonder how many people she pitched that to. Right. I or, bet
1: someone I bet Mark Marin did it.
0: Yeah. Was was she doing a series of like, you know, comedians in bathhouses with Time Out New York?
1: <laughs> well, I think she I think she was the comedy person for And she actually wrote a really good book about Bill Hicks. Yeah, that's how I know who she is. Right.
0: Because I love that book.
1: Yeah. So anyway, uh, she asked me about how I felt about doing the game show. And at the time, I had just done the Montreal Comedy Festival. Mm-hmm. And I went from being this unknown comic, you know, struggling to make ends meet, you know, picking up chairs after shows to get stage time, driving an hour and a half to make $40. And, you know, and it was tough. And then I went to the Montreal Comedy Festival. And I got, as they say, buzz at the festival. So I did it. I did a show, and then all the agents and managers and studios. And back then, in '96, they used to go to the Montreal Comedy Festival. Now they send assistants to cover it. But back then, it was like you know, the heads of studios and networks were showing up to the festival.
0: And not only that, but they were showing up with development deals and checkbooks.
1: They had checkbooks. Yeah. So I go up there, and uh, and uh, and I did. I don't think I did more than four shows, but it kept building where more and more people were coming to the shows. I left the festival after four days. I signed with a major agency. I signed with Dave Becky of Three Arts Management. I had a, develop meal, a development deal with Fox for a sitcom. I got booked on Letterman.
0: This is all at Montreal. That's All
1: in one weekend. It is so different now.
0: It is so. I have friends who have gone up there crushed and they left and they leave with like a few business cards and Yeah, an
1: Right, right, right. No, it's different. It's a different world. I mean, comedy back then was there were a lot more uh stand up driven sitcoms. And so there was a feeding frenzy on who might be somebody who could carry a show. I mean it would right. Drew Carey had a show and Brett Butler had a show and
0: everybody was looking to see uh, you know, if you were gonna be in fits.
1: Right. <laughs> Fits of laughter.
0: Yeah, exactly. They would put some, and they would probably, uh, I feel like, you know, they would they would like pigeonhole you into something. They would just be like, well, he's Irish, so let's do a show about an Irish pub. Like, that's the kind of stuff they would do. But they tell you it won't
1: be that. You say, I don't want to do that. And they go, okay, that's fine. And the closer you get, the more they go, you know, your agent goes, you know, you got a better chance of getting picked up if you uh, go with the Irish thing. You know, that's kind of what they want.
0: (laughs) They're like, can you do an Irish accent?
1: Yeah, right. Um, so anyway, so the development deal was going on and then I got offered this sitcom and it was like crazy mass shooting. We would shoot five episodes a day, four episodes a day.
0: Can I just put, you just said mass shooting?
1: It was a mass shooting? <laughs> <laughs> it was a mess shooting. Yeah, we all dressed in black. We had hoodies. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. This
0: is well. There was '96. Was that before Columbine? <laughs> I think it's a different. uh yeah. Yeah. No one ever used those words. Right. Then. Right. So it was a block shooting. It was we'll block say. shooting. Yeah, block shooting.
1: And we did four a day, and five days a week, and then um, I got so I got ended up with pneumonia after like three weeks because it was so intense. So
0: you're shooting twenty episodes of a game show a week. Yeah. How do you stay fresh when you're doing that?
1: We had good writers. We had guys like Paul Kozlowski and uh, Jason Jason uh, Nadler. Anyway, so but even the energy I is, know is, I know. Yeah. And so I get pneumonia and I miss like three days. And they sent a PA to my apartment to make sure I really had pneumonia.
0: Whoa! Yeah,
1: and when I came back to work. They, they upped it to five days a week so we could make up for the three days that I'd missed
0: so oh my god so they sent someone to check on you that what did they think you were doing Just
1: I don't know anything but the game show. a work stoppage or I don't <laughs> yeah. know but they they made me go to an MTV doctor to get checked out and the guy shot me full of b12 and whole cocktail of stuff to get me back on my feet
0: I didn't know like I know they have those in like the NFL I didn't know that they have those. Oh, yeah. And for like MTV also, oh, yeah. where they're just like, damn it, you're you're hosting this game show, and you're like, but I have a concussion, Doc. That's right. <laughs> you have to still go in and Get play. Get back
1: in the game. You want to <laughs> yeah. be a winner?
0: Yeah, they just give you a cortisone shot. Yeah. Suddenly, you test positive for steroids.
1: <laughs> you so, think Pauly Shore did all those episodes without a B12? Yeah. <laughs> um, so, so anyway, I go to do this interview during the second season with Cynthia Troop. Yeah. And I go... Yeah, I was a little cocky. My head was a little full, as you can imagine. And uh, yeah, let's wait for this chopper to go by.
0: Yeah, that's the thing about the recording at the comedy store. We were in the basement of the comedy store. We can still hear everything upstairs. Maybe they're
1: doing construction. Oh, they are doing construction. So I said, "Well, I, you know, I'm just not that into doing a game show. You know, I, it's 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 kind of cheesy, and I'd like to be doing sitcoms and." more acting work and blah, blah, blah. But I said it, I thought we were off mic at that point. Oh, you're never off mic. That's what I learned. I really said it to her as, you know, they develop a friendship with you. Yeah. And I made that mistake. You're in a bathhouse
0: together, everything's going great. Where did you end up in the interview instead of the bathhouse? Or did you do the bathhouse?
1: No, we didn't do the bathhouse.
0: Because your girlfriend slash wife put a kibosh
1: on that. I can't remember where we did it, but. Either way. Either way, so it comes out in time at New York and she leads with it. Oh. And the president of MTV. Wait,
0: before you you tell us what happened, we're gonna leave people in suspense for a second because I wanna get to the idea that saying what you said is not a bad thing if you had framed it differently. If you had been like, yeah, this is really fun. Eventually I wanna do sitcoms. I would love to grow this into more. But instead you came at this as like, Fuck game shows.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Which is a lot tougher because you're employed by one at the time, which takes it seriously enough that they're sending PAs to make sure you're not faking.
1: Right. And you know what? Right now, if you said to me, Greg, what do you, if you could do any job in show business, what would it be? I would say, give me a primetime network game show. Really? You know, they go, they shoot, they still do it. They still shoot three or four a day. They go on a weekend. Drew Carey goes in for prices Right over a weekend once a month and they pay you, you know, like 50 grand an episode. Yeah. And you, everyone's got name tags. You don't have to even memorize their names. Their rules are all <laughs> on a teleprompter <laughs> under the camera. You just show up, they throw a monkey suit on you and bam, 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 here's your prize. You smile, you dance at the end. That's all I want at this point. And it's what you had. It's what I had. <laughs> and it was actually a really cool game show. It was like, there was a guy, Matt Price, was. Uh, his face was in a TV that was in a giant brain. Mm-hmm. And he was my sidekick. And we had, you know, they put me in sharkskin suits. And, you know, the whole idea was that people, everybody has a savant category. Like, what would yours be where you know, where you would most want to be Baseball. quizzed on?
0: Baseball. Or New York Mets, to get even more specific.
1: All right, I'm going to ask you a question right now. Okay. What... What was the name of the guy? 1972, Pittsburgh Pirates pitched a game on acid.
0: Doc Alice. Right. LSD. Right. Yeah.
1: And so- Which
0: uh, which was fun also because his name like in baseball encyclopedias is like Ellis, comma, D.
1: That's hilarious. Um. So- Wait, I didn't, ga- I didn't even win anything. This, this game's so- Do you know that I had a guy- <laughs> I had a meeting at True TV last yeah. year where I was trying to sell a show. And uh, I walk in and he goes, head of development. He goes, Greg Fitzsimmons, I was a contestant on Idiot Savants back in 96. I was a broke PA, I had no car, I was living in LA. I went on Idiot Savants and I won a car. And it changed my life. Wow. Come on in and pitch me an idea. That's
0: amazing. And you're like, can I host a game show please? Okay, so the president of MTV she sees this interview, it.
1: and we were on the bubble, as they say in show business, where, you know, we were in the second season. We were down in Florida at Spring Break at, at uh, Panama City B. What's it called, Panama?
0: Panama City. Yeah, I think Panama I think City Panama City.
1: City. And we're down there, and we're shooting. And it's like you know, the fact that I had just gotten a girlfriend who I knew when I met her was going to be my wife. Yeah. Otherwise. I'm in fucking Panama City as the host of an MTV show. We're taping episodes on the beach. There's thousands of kids in bikinis screaming for me. In 96,
0: when MTV was the thing. Right. Yeah.
1: And AIDS was starting to die down.
0: Right. You didn't even have to worry about AIDS as much. Very important.
1: I could have destroyed...
0: But, uh, but I did. Uh, <laughs> this is actually a perfect time right now, because I want to hear the end of the story. And so does everyone else, I'm sure, but we're going to take a break so that uh, that's what we'll throw to our sponsor, and then uh, we'll come back to the end of the story. so stay tuned.: Welcome back to Failing Forward. I'm here with Greg Fitzsimmons, who is in the middle of a wonderful story about talking shit to Timeout New York about his current job and not being able to crash on the beach. Of uh of Panama City because he was girlfriend slash future engaged.
1: No regrets.
0: No regrets. So she well right you didn't get AIDS. So I didn't important. get AIDS. Right there. Look, there are pluses and minuses of every story.
1: I could have some tweaked out girl from Florida presenting me with my eighteen year old son right now. Yeah, it and
0: was uh well no 22. 22
1: 22? year old son right yeah twenty two year old son
0: yeah. he, he could have he could. Uh, legally, well, not quite rent a car. I was gonna say he could rent a car and drive home from Florida. <laughs> That's in three years. so yeah. will finally get to you. Um, yeah. So, so she. But re- you would have been hosting a game show still. Uh, Idiot Savant would have been in its uh season. Tw- By the way, this has turned season. into
1: just a naked pitch. If the industry's watching <laughs> any game show, I'll host it at this point.
0: And you would be damn good at it too.
1: And do you know I have I have shot no less than twelve pilots for game shows.
0: You've shot twelve pilots for game shows,
1: and uh, none of them got picked up. Maybe, maybe no, no, that's, that's not a... true. A couple of them got picked up. I did, I did a few. Yeah, um, but anyway. So she reads it, and we're on the bubble, and uh, suddenly, canceled. Yeah, and it's not a hundred percent due to what I said, but when a show is, is on the bubble and the host says that, you kind of go like, "I uh, like I heard they were shopping for another host." after I said that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And instead, they were just like, instead of a new host, how about we just cancel this entirely?
1: So, uh, yeah, so that was that was really tough. But then out of it, the guy who was the executive producer, Michael Dugan, who created the show, mm-hmm. he also created Remote Control. Oh, John yeah. Stewart was on with Big Colin show. Quinn and Chris Rock. Um, he and I became really close to this day. I ended up getting ordained so I could marry him and his wife and he and I have gone on to write and sell shows over the years.
0: Was he ever, or anyone on the show, did they ever get mad at you for saying that?
1: The writers, (laughs) I came into the office after the interview came out, and I was very... um,
0: When you read the interview, were you like, oh God?
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: Like instantly, you were like, I got too comfortable.
1: And I had a publicist at the time, and he called me, and he goes, what the fuck did you do? Oh, wow. So I went in, and I apologized to the writers. And I actually had tears in my eyes because I knew these are jobs. These are people's jobs. Yeah. And this is a lot, of, a lot of them, it was their first writing job. And it's so rare to be on one that works and to think that I might have like cost them their jobs. I had tears in my eyes. I was really
0: upset. Were you excited for the interview to come out, like when it came out? Were you doing enough interviews that you're like, oh, there's just another one? Yeah, Or just, when like, it hit, were you like,
1: oh, let me go get a copy of Time on New York? No, I really, um, I was so burnt out at that point because I was doing this development deal at the same time and I was doing a lot of stand-up. And yeah. I just kind of like, I wasn't in a good place, which is why my guard was down when I did the interview in the first place. I just wasn't very centered and present.
0: I just wish it went, like I just have this picture in my head of you like waking up, getting some coffee, going yeah, to the newsstand. Right, you know, right. it was like because you know, flipping n- New them York, a nickel. Yeah, <laughs> New York City, there are newsstands on like every corner. Yeah, and just be like,
1: do you have the latest issue of Time Out New York, sir? And, <laughs> and the guy's then, reading it, and he looks up and he goes,
0: Yeah. And then he reads the quote and he goes, oh, why did you do that, Greg? <laughs> why would, why you would you do, do that? that? I gonna... work at a newsstand and I know that that is not the appropriate behavior. Hey.
1: By the way, we're looking for somebody to work here. Yeah. <laughs> and. Uh,
0: but don't talk shit about us to the time of New York.
1: So was it a good thing or a bad thing? I don't know. The, the TV deal didn't turn into a sitcom. The Letterman appearance was great. That was probably the high point of my life. I made a good friendship out of it. I'm still friends with all the writers but i do feel like that's the one that got away of all the shows that i've been on that's the one i feel like if we had run three or four seasons with that yeah that would have been fun and i think it was a really creative edgy game show that uh, would have been good for me
0: and but the beach didn't turn into aids so that's good and the too. beach
1: didn't turn into aids and i ended up marrying a wonderful woman
0: yeah and that that all worked out so yeah. you're not like sitting there be like oh I had a girlfriend at the time and it didn't work out, and I could have had all these yeah. I could have had all these beach aids yeah, right why didn't I <laughs> wouldn't I partake in all this beach aids so yeah so it, I mean it, it sounds like this was you know obviously a stumbling block, especially because when you think about it the way and and I don't know if everyone listening even knows this the way because a lot of people think, oh, if you're on TV, you're rich and that's not true. if you're a few seasons in, yeah that's when you start getting paid. Because the first made, season you have no leverage. I think
1: I made $40,000 for the entire season and we did like 60 episodes or oh something crazy. Now, yeah. I don't know if those numbers are right, but I, it was in that ballpark. It was, yeah,
0: you have no leverage when you start yeah, on television. Yeah. And even even if it gets, so season two, things might get a little bit more comfortable, but it's really season four or five that you start actually having enough power because then you go, oh, they need me more than I need them. Right. Because you've been on TV enough you're recognizable enough, you have other opportunities, and you get leverage. And so, when you're on that bubble in season two, that's gotta be the toughest thing because, it, you know, they basically, they owned you for two years and now when it's your time to own them, then they're like, no.
1: (laughs) Yeah, like I know with Ray Romano, he was, um, he wasn't even allowed in the writer's room for the first two seasons. Really? Yeah, I mean, he kind of fought his way in, but he was not like, Welcomed.
0: Everybody loves Ray except the network and the executive producers.
1: Yeah, right. And so, uh, you know, he found his way in, and then he earned it, and then the show got big, and then I think he was able to negotiate for more money. But no, he was—I don't think he had a big quote the first couple years. Yeah,
0: that's how it starts, even when they have a show named after you. Yeah, right. Like, they—I had a—so my my first uh, opportunity was Laughs with Fox, and I was getting paid garbage. Yeah. And— I tried to negotiate for some sort of back end. I was like, this is this show is designed to sell into syndication. Can I have something? And the EVP just said to me, literally the words, well, I'd love to, but you have no leverage, so yeah, right. you're not gonna get anything. That's right. And I was like, but I, w- uh, it's too but completely I want true. Yeah, But, but I, I want w- it, and w- it's w-
1: what's right.
0: Yeah. Now it did motivate me to go out and get other opportunities and be like, okay, now I have leverage. And so then when it went to season two, I didn't even stay as producer and host. I left and went and I consulted for it. But I had other things at that point Yeah. because I was so mad also about that. But I want leverage, please. Yeah, I know. But that's what happens when people start out. And I think that's true with any career. Like with any career, the first job you have, you don't walk in and make demands. That's right. You know, you get well, demanded and,
1: and The thing is, is I think you have to have a belief when you start that it is going to lead to something and that if you pay your dues and you work hard and you learn on the job, no yeah. matter what you're doing, you're going to get to a point where they're paying you more than they should. And yeah. that will make up for the years you didn't make it. You right. know, if you really push hard and you try to get to that next level. I mean, you see comedians that are doing theater shows for 75 grand a pop And they're doing tours, and you go, "That's obscene. That doesn't seem right." Well, that guy spent ten years, maybe fifteen years, doing shows for seventy-five without the zeros, right? But that person (laughs) believed that it was going to lead, say, or 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 didn't. I mean, I don't think your your motivation shouldn't be, "I'm going to make seventy-five grand a theater someday." Right. It should be, "I'm going to get better as a comedian if I keep writing and showing up and doing as many sets as I can." And not being a douchebag, and you know, doing material I'm proud of, whatever it is. If you stick to that and you push yourself, it'll all come back. It'll you'll get paid for those early years in spades.
0: Well, yeah, there's that phrase: "The do what you love, the money will follow." Right, but it's also, you know, your your goal should never be, "Oh, I'm gonna make seventy five grand at a theater one day." But your goal should be, "I'm gonna sell out a theater one day." And the because if you're good enough, the idea is I'm going to get so good that the people will come because my yeah. goal has never been to get television or movies like those yeah. are offshoots. Right. But my goal is to do whatever I can to make my stand up more applicable to more people and, and or to get more exposure to more people. And et cetera, et cetera. I, know, I guess
1: so. I mean, there's there's different ways to go at stand up. And I think that that that's one way. Mm-hmm. And I think the other way is to say, I want to actualize as much as I possibly can. And then I'm going to draw people to my vision. There's going to be people that, that relate to me because I'm being honest about my life and they're yeah. going to see something in that. And I'm going to develop a voice that's so strong and um, uncensored and, and raw that people are going to go, that's refreshing. Well, I, and I think, I'm,
0: I think we're getting toward the same thing. I, I'm saying that like having the goal of the, you know, see someone early on on a marquee and go, one day that's going to be me. Right. Like, how you get there is exactly what you said, which is you write honestly, you write. I see all the time, I see people, you know, I see these comics on Facebook who have been doing it, you know, 30 years, but have done nothing. Yeah. Giving, you know, the young bucks advice. Right. Of like, here's what you want to do if you want to play a cruise once every two weeks. Right, right. And it's just, but that's not what we want.
1: Yeah, I think advice is uh, overrated.
0: You know yeah. what? I'm going to cancel the podcast. I think you're right.
1: <laughs> well, I mean, advice like, <laughs> you know, it, there's there's your way and you have to find your way. And you yeah. certainly should listen to how other people did it. But nobody does it the same way twice.
0: Well, and what you said about, um, you know, what you said about the idea of being so authentic and so raw that people gravitate toward you. That I agree with 100% because no one drives two hours to see someone they kind of like. Right. They'll go see someone they kind of like if they happen to be in that same strip mall at that same time. Yeah, yeah. But to actually draw people, to actually resonate with people, and to have people make their vacation about going to see your show, you have to really resonate. You have to really appeal to people. Yeah, And that's... I, I, you know, that's how I think you absolutely hit the. Nose and it's right? really
1: hard as a comedian when you see. I, I go through this. I see comics, the guys that are making seventy-five grand a show, yeah. and and you go, what are they doing that I'm not doing? And uh, and making seventy-five grand a show. Well, that. <laughs> but also, they're they don't give a fuck. That's what I find. The yeah. people that are doing that well don't give a fuck what anybody thinks of them. Um, they don't care about offending people. Yeah. And something comes out of a frustration. A lot of times you have to get so frustrated with, you know, the, the confines of stand-up comedy, whatever you see them as, you know, whether or not it's the PC police coming down on you in social media or a club not working you or people walking out or whatever it is that makes you feel frustrated. You get to that and you have to steamroll past it. Yeah. Or you get to the point where you're frustrated that, you know, your, your, whatever message you've crafted to put out to people as your brand isn't hitting. And you got to go like, because that's fucking bullshit. That's, right. I, that's not, I don't even buy it. So nobody else is going to buy it. And then all of a sudden this voice just emerges out of the ashes. That's, that's the true you. That I've seen that happen so much just in the last five years. You know, guys like, Bill Burr and Tom Segura and Ari Shafir and uh, Joey Diaz. There's all these guys that are just they don't give a fuck. Yeah, and people want to hear that.
0: Yeah, because they people want to hear honesty. Yeah, and what you said about you know there's the same path doesn't. I'm happen sorry, twice. and I should
1: also say Ali Wong and Eliza Schlesinger. There's yeah. there's women. Also.
0: Yeah, I know you just happen to pick some men. You're not yeah, yeah. you're not a horrible sexist right? person, Greg, no matter what people have been saying about you. Yeah. You're not a sexist person. No. Um the the thing you said about uh it doesn't happen the same way twice. Um often when like a young comic or, or someone who hasn't even done comedy yet and they're like, you know, how did you start? And I'll say to them, Oh, do you want to start being a comedian in two thousand one? Right. Because that's how I started. Right, right, right. And it's completely different now. Yeah. So me telling you how I started has nothing to do with how you'll start. Yeah. The way you start is to stop asking me that and just go to an open mic and yeah. just go do stand up. Right, right. And that's I think that's part of you know, that's part of any profession is you just there there's so many people who are so worried for how do I do this right? And it's like you don't. Yeah. You fail.
1: You fail and also like I had Brian Regan on my podcast recently, and Mm -hmm. he talked about when he started, how many different hats he wore. Yeah, he tried. He was a prop comic for a little bit. He went on as a comedy team. He did, you know, I can't remember if he ever did musical comedy, but like, you just just go try all. What bad things
0: about comedy has he done? (laughs) Right,
1: but (laughs) I mean, who knows? I mean, there's there's Henry Phillips. There's people that do Bo Burnham who do musical comedy. That's great. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. But I mean, the the point is. You won't know until you try, and it's the theme of this whole podcast. You're going to have to go out and fail a bunch of ways and just make sure you're learning as you fail. Yeah. Take note of what it is and why it is, and then eventually you're going to realize, like, some, like uh, what's his name? The, um, the guy who tweets a lot and has a big TV show now.
0: Uh, Rob Delaney?
1: Rob Delaney. Yeah. He found that he was great at tweeting. And he, had, he it creatively resonated with him, and that's what he right. did, and that's what got him big.
0: And not stand-up, as it turned out.
1: Not stand-up.
0: Not stand-up, because yeah. he, he was great at tweeting, and then he went on, I think it was Kimmel, yeah. and then it did not go well.
1: He had a bad set, a famously bad set. You should have him on to talk about that set. I would set.
0: love to talk to him about that set, yeah. because the idea of having to scrub something off the internet Yeah. is, I mean, that's insane to me. right. Um, and, and not only that, but to also bounce back as well as he has done, he's, yeah. he's killing it on that show right. because he is a fantastic writer and a fantastic comedic actor Yeah. and stand up is a different muscle. And like, I, I'm happy to joke about like, Oh yeah, you know, he bombed at stand up. like, put me in a TV show. See how bad it does. That's so right. so okay. we all have our things we can do yeah. and things we can't. Um and also people need to learn from other people's mistakes. I hope everyone listening to this knows that the next time you get offered an interview in a bathhouse, you say yes.
1: That's right. And then you, then you the talk lesson. judiciously. Yeah,
0: that is the lesson. Yeah. Um but yeah, but just, you know, I I think that I think that the lesson learned from that really is don't let your ego get away from you because you were you know, you were this. You know, you were hot shit. You were this young comic that was getting all these deals, and so you're like, I can tell Time Out New York whatever the hell I want. And then, yeah. well, sometimes no.
1: Humility, it really. And you know, Ray Romano is a good example of that. The has the most humility of anybody I know that that is anywhere near that level. But it's also funny
0: that you that your story is about not having humility because that's a quality I've always known about you. Like the idea that as long as I've known you, you've never you've never come across as like oh I'm too good for that. You've always just been someone who's like yeah I'm a comic and let's go do comedy
1: and that's fun. right. Well, I give everybody a pass on their first wave of success because I don't think oh. anybody can ever really be ready for it. I really do. When I that's see a great. young comic acting cocky and you know like he's better than people, I go all right. Give him his, give him his little. You know he's gonna crash down, and then he's yeah. gonna come back a, a, a better person.
0: You hope. There are a couple I can think of that. Yeah. Yeah.
1: I know. Sometimes they. The problem is some of them they get humble when they go down, and when they come back,
0: they're like, "See, see." Yeah. I saw someone who, um, was doing jokes about like he was on a show that no one watched. Yeah. And his whole set was about how difficult it is to be famous now. And it's like, no one in this crowd knows who you are. Like, what are you, the second, there are a lot of comics I've seen that the second they get on a TV show, they start writing jokes about being on a TV show. And I'm like, be relatable, man. Yeah. Yeah. Like, what do you, do you think this audience is all people who are on TV shows being like, oh my God, right? Yeah. I totally, I totally get that. Yeah. But they just want to tell them they're on a TV show.
1: Right. I know, I did a joke about flying first class and people gave me shit about it.
0: But that's still—we still all experience that. Even if we're not there, we still walk, walk by it. it. You, yeah, you walk through it. You still see it. You walk
1: through it, and you look at those people, and you go, "Like, what did you do? Do you have points? I always try to figure out. Do they fly a lot, and they have points? Yeah. Or are they famous and powerful, so they bought the the seat? And I've you only, can
0: usually tell. I've only one time bought a first class ticket, and it was very recent, and it was just to maintain status on the airline. Yeah. Um, every other time I've ever flown first class, it's because I fly a ton and they bump you up when yeah, you fly a ton. Right. And so at first, I was like, oh, I'm going to talk to everyone next to me. I usually avoid everyone on a plane. Uh-huh. I'm like, I'm going to talk to everyone next to me because I bet that these are captains of industry. That's right. How did they get here? And every one of them is like, oh, my mom works for the airline. Yeah, I'm like, God Right, damn it. right, right. Yeah.
1: Now, I was in first class and then I, uh, one of the times I walked back to coach after we took off and I farted. <laughs> just because, and not to be mean to them, it's just there's so few people up front they would have known it was me, right? You know, but in coach, I just kind of crop dusted a little, little, little each at time, eighteen, little at twenty seven. You're walking all the way back just going to the bathroom.
0: You're like, no, these people, Actually, these people need to. Could
1: have been a real gentleman and gone to the bathroom. Exactly, Where but they then also suck it out.
0: But is... then also that bathroom is so small that it's, and I we at some point we have to wrap this up. But also. Who pees on the floor of the bathroom? Yeah, a, I know. In an, like in, and it doesn't matter if it's first class or coach. Yeah, every bathroom, the floor is wet. That's right. And it's just, what? Who are these animals?
1: Well, because you're you're moving around a little. I bit. know, but hold on, hold on.
0: Like, control yourself. Who are these animals? I
1: used to masturbate in the bathroom on almost every flight. Really? For... Yeah, because I had fear of flying, and it would calm me down. And also, I like to sleep on the flight,
0: and it would make you tired.
1: I would get up. I mean, I'm not. I was the best. as soon as that, like, take your seatbelt sign came on, I was up and I was in that bathroom. Probably
0: Pavlovian at some point. It was. Where all of a sudden you hear that ding and then you just go, oh.
1: High altitude and the ding. And it was up.
0: Same with me and high speed internet. Similar.
1: (laughs) (laughs) All right. We got to wrap this up.
0: I could talk to Greg forever um so greg uh greg fitzsimmons tell the people where they can learn more about you where they can follow you, you all that stuff
1: if you go to fitzdog.com uh you can get links to um fitzdog radio my podcast also i do a podcast called childish with Allison rosen about raising kids and then i got tour dates coming up in atlanta and uh i forget where else go to go to all, all dates are on my site
0: uh, and check out Greg Live. Truly one of the best joke writers in the business. Oh, thanks, man. Yeah, just uh, your, your stuff is just very, very airtight, which is something a lot of comics don't do. Well, thank so, you So uh, please check out Greg Fitzsimmons on all social media and live. And uh, of course, you know, rate, comment, subscribe, uh, support the podcast, and that's how we get to more people. Thank you guys so much. We'll see you next week.